Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Home. It looks different for each of us. But no matter what yours may look like, there's a good chance that we all want home to be something similar. It's your home. What do you want it to be like? Well, first of all, I just want you to know how grateful I am to be here. Are you excited to be here today? Yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, I, I, I want to uh, acknowledge um, those of us who are joining us on, online. We're so grateful for you. Thank you for everybody who showed up today. Um, I really do want to express uh, my gratitude to this church, to Preston, uh, to the elders for really caring for me and my family. Um, some of you may know this, many of you probably don't, but my wife's daddy passed away uh, unexpectedly. And for my, my wife, for my mother-in-law, who I refer to as my mother-in-love, uh, married for 53 years, met her husband, she was 16 years old, and just what we've experienced as far as support and care and love from this community has been incredible, and many of you uh, can identify with this, that uh, death has a way of surprising you, disrupting your life. Um, I don't know if you know this, but death is the number one killer. It's okay, you can laugh at that, that's true. But... Our morning in this process of being connected to this, this body of people, people showing up with, with meals and support and care, I just, I really want to encourage you to get plugged in and get connected because this is what the body looks like. And during our time, our morning has been very meaningful to us. It's been meaningful and, and I've learned some things uh, through this process. I've learned that we're really educated on how to acquire things in life, we're not really educated on how to lose things in life. And loss is a, is a big part of life. Whether you lose someone that you love, whether you lose a job, uh, you lose a pet, um, you lose relationship or marriage, like it's something that we, we really need to grow and to develop in and like my heart is very sensitive to this more than ever. Uh, we sometimes label things as grief recovery. I'll just tell you this, it's, it's loss. We need to learn. And when I came into church after being out for a little bit, um, I felt like maybe some of you feel that are here right now or watching online, I kind of felt like I was a thousand miles away and everybody was shiny and happy. Um, and I, I wasn't, which was okay. And I even left the service five minutes early. And you may be there. First of all, I just want to tell you thank you for, for showing up. That's, that really is a big step. And you might need to leave early, and that's okay too. We need space for that. But keep, keep showing up. Uh, what we learned is you, you don't get better overnight, but it does get better. Like being connected to people is really, really valuable. Uh, I think a lie that permeates is, 
you know, isolating ourselves or like we, like we, can, just, we can just be the church by ourselves. It's just flat wrong. That's unhealthy. Uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you to everybody. Um, last week we started a series titled In My Home. And um, Preston led off with what I'll phrase, master your mouth. Right? That's, that's the way that I interpret <laughs> Master your mouth. Um, which is interesting because the book of James lists a number of marks of maturity. And one of those is master your mouth among uh, some, a few others. And as I was thinking about that, really, I, I, and praying, I, I felt the Lord fire a rocket uh, at my heart, and it hit my chest, and it, it really is what I want to share with us. Sometimes God speaks to you sweetly, and sometime he, sometimes he speaks to you as the Lord of hosts, the commander of angel armies, <laughs> and his tone is strong, uh, and that's one of his... That, that's, that's who he is, right? The Lord is a warrior, Exodus 15.3. Yahweh is his name. And, and I just felt him say that. So I want to I share with you what he said to me. And he said it in a form of a mantra. Like, and when God gives me like a mantra, I know it has to do with like mission and purpose. So here's what he said. He said, my church must mature. My church must mature. So he Here's what I'm going to start off with. There's a couple of foundational step statements that are going to set us up for, for what I feel God's saying to us uh, about our home. And here's the first one. We must mature. We must mature. Now, do you want to resist that word a little bit? Maybe you've got kind of a, a, an idea or a definition or a picture in your mind of what maturity is. But let's just define it. That makes it easier, right? Mature means fully developed, fully grown. Fully developed, fully grown. God's desire is for us to be fully grown. How do you know you're growing? How do you know what growth is? Let me give you some simple ways to know this. Number one, your perspectives shift. Number two, your mindset shifts. Your, belie your beliefs about things, what you're anchored to, they start shifting. Number three, your language Start shifting. Your words start coming into alignment with uh, God's. Uh, fourth, your actions. You start taking actions. And right now, immaturity is running rampant in our world. Would you agree with that? Like immaturity in the church is running rampant. And, and I think, you know, uh, you could read... Uh, some different places, Hebrews 5, like Paul is dealing with this at one time. So it's not like, this isn't a new thing, by the way. But God is saying to us, we, you, we must mature. We must grow. So one of the things that I, I've seen is areas where I've been immature. And let me just share a couple of these and where maturity has come. Reading this book. In my immaturity, I've, I've read this book uh, to formulate checklists, to uh, pass tests, even to preach messages, which isn't necessarily bad. But maturity has come when my perspective has shifted, uh, much like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and John talk about, where instead of reading this book, I eat this book. Rather than showing up with paper and pen, I show up with a fork and a knife, and I consume 
this book in the way that a dog sort of growls over its bone, gnarls it, chews it, right? This, is, this word is meant to, to be consumed with that perspective. Well, why? Because you're getting intimate with an individual whose desire is that you would be integrated. He wants you to be whole. So you've got to chew this book. You've got to chew it, all right? Uh, other parts um, where I've been immature. I've had immaturity as it's pertained to what manhood is in my life over seasons. And I remember years ago uh, in this church, I asked one of our fathers, Randy Malkin, who's been what, we'd, what I would describe as a Hall of Fame father. You know, s- some of us, we could, we could say we've been all-star dads, but when somebody year after year is showing up and being present, right, and being consistent with their kids, I mean, he's raised incredible sons. And so, obviously, I, I want to learn because that's what wisdom does. Wisdom is shown right by its results. So I'm like, Randy, what did you do? How, what did you start in, their, in your kids? What, what was the basis? And he's like, well, basically, it's four things, Brad, that, that I've imparted into them. And it's not just this simple, but it is this. Uh, biblical manhood, the mindset of it is reject passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, expect a greater reward. And from that day to this, I have taught my boys those four words. If you ask them, what is manhood? They will tell you those four things. Reject passivity, uh, accept responsibility, lead courageously, expect a greater reward. Growth, maturity. This is what God is after in us. Immaturity is just something not ripened, not something fully grown. You've heard some of these statements, right? Maturity doesn't come with age, darn it. It comes with the acceptance of responsibility. It's, it's not trying something. It's training. Trying and training are two different things. And there's, there's something that God's after. Now, we've heard it said, with great, uh, excuse me, with great uh, power comes great responsibility, right? That was the movie Spider-Man, by the way. But here's what I say to you. With great responsibility comes great power. Okay? See, responsibility is not restricting. It's releasing. We are empowered to be response-able, able to respond. And so much of what's happening, so much of the immaturity that's taking place has put us in, uh, in positions of being disempowered. Now here's what I've come to understand in maturing, in uh, grasping spiritual warfare in my life. Anytime there's a thought that disempowers me, I understand it's the devil who has designed something to bring death in my life. Anytime. So anytime I feel disempowered in my relationship with my wife, with my children, and I start thinking about it, it could be in my job, could be in a relationship with somebody, when I'm feeling disempowered, Instantly, I'm aware this is designed by the devil to bring death to my life. And here's what God wants us to choose, life, always. We're empowered, able to respond by choosing life. I didn't say it was easy, but it's a choice. Deuteronomy 30, Moses is at the end of his life. He does not get into the promised land. He is sharing a word from the Lord to the Israelites. And here's what he says. This day I called the heavens and the earth 
as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a choice. We're empowered to choose. And often and frequently, we choose one or the other. We choose life or we choose death. How many of you reflected, if you were here, listening to Preston's message about your mouth and the words that you speak, you realized this week you chose life and you chose death, <laughs> right? You got into some silly little argument over the dumbest thing and it produced death in your relationship, not life. You have a choice. So, so with that, here's what I, I need us to understand that. God's intention for the church was not just to be a bride for his son. It was that, but not just that. It was to be a priesthood for his world. God created us to be a priesthood for this world, empowered to be response able. We have been put on this earth to bring order to the chaos, to bring peace to the conflict. We have been put on this earth to bring God's kingdom wherever we go. Here's the second thing. We are priests. Now, that brings up some thoughts to some of us, right? Because oftentimes we think from an earthbound perspective rather than heaven to earth perspective, right? Jesus prayed on earth as it is in heaven. So if you're struggling with the word priest, let's be... Be reminded that that's downside up thinking because everything that we see in Scripture started in heaven. We need upside down thinking. So this word is sacred. This word is beautiful. This is a spiritual swagger that you and I are called to walk in. And it's God's desire to return the priesthood to his people. All right? Let's, let's read uh, what what the word says pertaining to this. Exodus 19, five through six, God says, now therefore, if you'll obey my voice indeed, keep my covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. All right, he's speaking to the Israelites that it wasn't just that there would be a certain group that would be the priests, but that the entire tribes would be. First uh, Peter 2.9, the New Testament. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Revelations 5.9-10, and they sang a new song saying, you're worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain with your blood you purchased for God's God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Does that, that describe us? Does that describe the church? A kingdom of priests bringing authority and blessing to the earth. See, to, to make it simple, priests have responsibility. Priests 
They steward spaces. They steward environments. Priests, they carry the presence of God wherever they go. Priests bless the people. They speak blessing over the people. Priests minister to God. Okay? So with those two things, we must mature. We are priests. I want to share what I feel like is really uh, just a message from God about our homes. And it's, it's simply this. Home is blank. Home is blank. How do you fill in the blank? Home is where the heart is. Uh, home is a war zone. It is cluttered and chaos, a battleground. Home is uh, where people are married and have kids, right? A house is not a home per se, but how do you fill in that blank? Where did that perspective come from? Like this, this message is not to people who have kids or families. This is to single people, empty nesters. This is to uh, kids and to teenagers and to young adults. Uh, home is not a specific uh, area, but, but every time we come into this space to hear what God is saying to us, there, there's a, a few things that you need to really hold um, sort of just before you because they're always going to be confronted. One is mindset. Like what are your beliefs? What are your beliefs about home? Where did that come from? What are you anchored to? Your mindset is important. God is always trying to renew our minds, getting us to exchange our beliefs, the things that we're anchored uh, on so that we might be anchored to him, anchored to the rock, right? Also our motivation. What's your why? What's your why power, right? Maturity is when our mindset and our motivation come into alignment. Like I've done a lot of really good things for God with the wrong motivation. It didn't produce maturity. In fact, I actually think it produced immaturity in me because I was getting off course. And, and then not only is it mindset and motivation, but it's also methods. Like what are your strategies and your tactics? And we're going to talk about those, but results in our life have reasons. The results that you're getting in your life have reasons. And when you put all three of those things together, mindset, motivation, methods, you get integration. You get wholeness. When all of those are firing all, on all cylinders in accordance with God's word, when you're aligned there, you have integration, which is what he's after. Wholeness, completeness. God's after that. But when we think about home, what do you put in the blank right now? Right now, at this moment. Now, we could say, he is a home. Right? Psalms 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that's true. He is a home. Uh, you could say, you and I, we're a home. Right? He said in John 15, abide in me and I in you. So he gives us that picture uh, like, which, which definitely causes me to think about how am I hosting him in my home? But, right, we, we are a home. And then the church is a home. These are, these are the pictures. Uh, Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. 
The church is a home. What I expressed in the beginning was home, not just a house. Like we, my family, was receiving because people were carrying our burdens. They were showing up at our home. That, that's what God has in mind. But what we are going to focus on is this last one. The space where you dwell is a home. Your habitat. So that speaks to all of us. If you're single, if where you dwell is small in square footage, it's a home. And there are some response-able uh, things for us to steward that space, to steward what God has entrusted that ultimately will lead to total transformation of, of our world if we'll accept the responsibility. Look at what Jesus says in Luke eleven seventeen. Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Here's a question for us all. What's happening in our habitat? What is happening in our habitat? Is it confusion? Is it chaos? Is it strife? Is it isolation? Is it dominated by insecurity and victimization? What's happening in our home? I mean, we are all facing digital deluge, information being thrown at us from social media sources, conflict in the comments as people duke it out over political view, views and ideologies, chaos, digital deluge, which, which obviously is producing more and more distraction, the pings and the dings, the likes and the dislikes, distraction. Our brains are getting unhealthier. Uh, and I'm a proponent of technology, but I don't serve it. It serves me. And sometimes that gets out of, out of hand, and I got to grab it, and I got to fast it and get it back in order because God's a God of order, and his word tells us that his order makes way for beauty, and I want beauty. I don't want ugly in my life. But as we see what's taking place, we realize that we're experiencing some form of dementia, like my phone stores phone numbers in the cloud. I can't remember phone numbers like I used to when I didn't have a cell phone. How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? You can't recall it because we've abdicated it to the cloud. And our minds aren't getting sharper. And with that comes, I just heard somebody's phone ding. That was great. Um, thank you. Um, it, it also has led to decision fatigue. How many of you know there's so many choices? Our our uh, students, our young adults, there's so many choices so that they can't deduce what to do and they're feeling fatigue from it, right? This one thing. Um, overworking, sedation, anger, binge watching of whatever platform, Netflix, whatever, uh, getting sucked into the scroll. This, this isn't what you and I are empowered to, as priests and, and a kingdom of priests on this earth, uh, to, to be uh, sort of deflated. We were called to rule and reign on this earth. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. So, empowered as priests to establish 
kingdom rule and reign, we're going to go over four things your home is that you and I have responsibility over as a priest, which is a pretty awesome thing. Number one, home is a small sanctuary. Home is a small sanctuary. All that word means is a place of refuge and safety. It's a a shelter from the storms of life, and there's a lot of those. Now, historically, the church has survived because of the home. I don't know if you knew that. See, the, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. No place for people to come in, in congregate. And the rabbis got a word from the Lord. And so they spoke to the people. Here's what the Lord says. The home is higher than the synagogue. And in the home, you are to teach your children Torah and a trade. The table is an altar. Now imagine with me. What if every church building was destroyed, what would happen to the church? Sometimes I get a little bit nervous about that one because of where we stand as it, as it relates to being the priests of our homes. But this is really important for us all. Like this, I, I've spent years overseas preaching in mass open air meetings, seeing hundreds of thousands of people come to Jesus and can I just tell you what I feel like that rocket that the Lord hit, hit me with in my chest was I need the home to be restored to my, its intended position. It's to be a lighthouse and a fortress and permeate into the highways and the byways and hedges of the city. And my people need to accept responsibility. It's simple but not easy. The home is a small sanctuary. Well, what happens in a sanctuary? A few things. Number one, life-giving learning. Teach, teach your children Torah and a trade in a home. Now, before you, you sort of check out because you're single, life-giving learning is to happen in our homes whether we are single, married, empty nesters, have kids, or don't. But it does serve for us to understand that life-giving learning is to be happening there. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home. And when you are on the road. And when you're going to bed. And when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Singles, you're to study to show yourself approved. Parents, the Hebrew word for parent is hooray. Hooray. Um, you have kids. Way to go. No, I'm just kidding. Um, sorry. It, it, it Basically, its root comes from Torah, which Torah, the word, is instruction, loving guidance. A parent is to give loving guidance. And we, in some ways, have abdicated that to our educational system or some the government, and some the church. But first and foremost, we are to be a life-giving learning center. We are to create an atmosphere within our homes. Uh, Second, the table is an altar. 
Psalms 128.3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. So this is an awesome concept. Like I love the table. Because all throughout scripture, meaningful meals are really important. I think we've got to grasp that together. Like meals are like sacred space. Like the sanctuary is something set apart, consecrated, special, holy, wonderful. That's what our homes are to be. But the table is an altar. Well, obviously, what happens at at an altar? What happens at the altar? Sacrifice. It's It's where things come to die. It's also where things come to life. It's also where uh, we get our power back. It also happens to be uh, a place of repentance, a change of thinking. All right, Brad, that sounds great. I'm going to need you to break that down for me. How is the table and altar? Great. I'll show you and explain to you how we have worked this out in our own home. Uh, Following after the master of life, Jesus, who asked 300 plus questions in the New Testament, following after God the Father, who asks a lot of questions to Adam, where are you, who told you, to Job, he asks them all kinds of questions. We realize that around our table, questions are keys that unlock the hearts of one another. So what we do practically is we do a heart check. Hey guys, I want to do a heart check. Are you hurting? Are you exhausted? Are you angry about anything? Are you resenting anybody? Are you tense? A heart check. Kids can ask parents. Parents can ask each other. Parents can invite people over. Singles can invite people over and do a heart check. Why? Because we all are affected Day in, day out by stress. And if you go too long without a heart check, you'll end up having a heart attack. It's just true. Didn't say that in any other service, but we, we're living with too much stuff stuffed in our hearts. We need this with regularity. Your table is an altar. Now, one of the things that we've provided for you is an app on your phone to use the technology in a God-honoring way that would give us responsibility. So the app, it's free, is Connection. There's thousands of questions. There is questions for couples, married couples. There's questions for singles, teenagers, young kids. There's quarantine questions. We're trying to add as, as many as we can. Let me just tell you, I've got thousands of boxes of questions at home that we poured through. Why? So that you could unlock the hearts of the people around you. We have people that use it in boardrooms. But I think one of the most powerful ways to use it is at the table. Each and every week to discover and to dig in and see what God is saying. Third thing that happens in a sanctuary, blessings. Blessings, are, they're spoken Right? Biblical blessings catalyze the destiny in people's lives. Look at the way the patriarchs bless their children. Look at the way that the angel of the Lord speaks to Gideon. He comes in and Gideon is cowering in fear and he calls him a mighty man of valor. That is a blessing. 
He blesses him. Think about in Genesis 27, 28, and 29. Isaac blesses Jacob. He speaks of his future. Uh, Listen, from the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain, bountiful new wine. May many nations become your servants. May they bow down to you. May you be the master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow, bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed. All who bless you will be blessed. Uh, Aaron and his sons, the, the, the priesthood, in number 623, they say, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. For a second, let's imagine in our homes that blessing is being spoken continuously, consistently. In this house, in God's house, that people are blessing each other, that they're, they're getting a sense that God is speaking to them, and rather not, than not say it, they say to a person, does anybody in here not want somebody to bless them? Put their hand on their shoulder and say, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you. Is anybody be like, no, no thank you. Doesn't our world seem like it's hungering for a group of people who follow the master of life to start using their mouths to bring blessing to the earth? The answer is yes. The home is a small sanctuary. Second, the home is hospitable. See, hospitality is a fundamental function of the home. Hospitable to all kinds and all classes of people. Romans 12, 13 says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Don't try it. Train for it. It's not going to necessarily be easy to have somebody at your house whose political views are different than yours, you're going to have to practice hospitality. Could it be that we can't stand people who have different ideologies because we haven't practiced talking and conversations and hospitality? I submit to you that that is the answer. Isaiah 58, 7, deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house. Job 31, 32, the stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveler. This is is real. This is very real. This, This is transformational for us. This is like change the world, change your neighborhood. When your neighbors aren't like you, or believe the same way as you, invite them into your house, feed them. Get to know them, hear their story. Like, this will change our world. Yeah? This will do it. So here's a question for us. Who have we hosted in our home in the last two years? Let me just pause a little bit there. Um, If I could... In this room, would you raise your hand 
if you are 70 years or older. Would you raise your hand? Hi. Now look around. There's not enough of those hands in this room. That's okay. Thank you for raising your hands. Thank you for being here. We, we believe in a five-generation church. We also believe, as Scripture instructs us, that these are some of the most valuable people in our church. They are. Now, if you ask them, they may not feel that they are experiencing that from all of us, and it might be duly noted, um, that needs to change. Now, here's why they're so valuable, because they have experience. Good and not so good experience, experience nonetheless. Now, those of you who saw the hands that were lifted, how many people over 70 have you hosted in your home? Now, now see, this isn't, this isn't for people who have mass square footage. If you have a, a, a space and, and you, you have a cardboard box to, to place a plate, don't, don't check out because, well, I, if I had, no, 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 no. That's not, there's no asterisks. You are the kingdom of priests, all of us, right? Now, uh, also, how many of you would raise your hand that you're single? Raise your hand. Look around the room, okay? Now, notice that this does, you all put them down so quick. Right, keep them up. <laughs> you, you might want to look around the room, single people, okay? All right, sorry. All right. Okay. Now, you notice that some, some are single again, that, that single has no designation of age. Sometimes we have ideas about that, but here's what I, I need you to, to really get with me. You need to hear this. See, the people in this room that, that are single understand this. And somehow we, we, we have sort of concocted this picture that somehow the idea is to get married and have kids. That's not true. Like you have purpose and meaning. God has created you as a priest like any of us. You are of extreme value. You have gifts not when you have kids and get married. God may have that for you, might not. But we value you. Here's the question now for all of us. How much have we valued them? Like they go home night after night after night after night to isolation and to eating in solidarity. Solitary confinement is not a blessing and it is not what the household of believers is to be. We're to have people in our homes that are single. We are to have people in our homes that are varied in class and, and different than us. Do you understand why? God wants us to train to develop so that our children can see this, so that our children can have conversations where there are differences. And, and, and the example that's on display worries me just a little bit. Foreigners is what scripture says, into your home. Like how many not yet followers of Jesus? I'm laying on this one a little bit longer than I did in the other two services, but it's good nonetheless. Like how many? 
and why? No, no shame or condemnation, but do you get why this is incredible to the transformation of the world? Like, can you see it? No, Brad, just tell me, like, tell me the mysteries of Scripture. No, no like, this is, this is huge on how we're to take this good news into the world. Like, have them over for dinner, invite them over for lunch, have them for breakfast. Yeah, take inventory. The home is hospitable. Number three, the home is a space to enjoy. It's good news, right? Like, I had to apologize to my son because I get intense at certain points, as you can kind of see. Like, I get intense as I'm growing in my understanding. Like, I didn't grow up having the greatest, like, path of how to be a man and to grow. And so like I have leaned in and read and we get together with our men and every man a leader. And I'm thinking about questions like what values will I impart into his life before he leaves me? And I'm thinking about those values. And so when you got a 15, 16 year old in your house, like you're not their top priority. So if you get just a few minutes with them, you are gonna give them all the wisdom nuggets you can cram into four minutes on the road, on the road, right? on the way to church. And I had to apologize to my son because I'm like, dude, I am so sorry, Ty, bro. I have just been like, and he's like, and I was like, hey, hey man, I want to not be a speedboat with you. I want to be a sailboat. Let's have some fun. He's like, all right, dad. Yeah, let's have some fun. So let me just encourage you. Like in my house, this, this doesn't work, but in my, it might work in your house. Like playing ping pong in my house, like, it gets, it gets competitive, and everybody's about to kill each other, so that isn't fun, but it might be fun for you. Like, games, chess, themed, like, dinner nights. My wife does an amazing, amazing job of, like, creating these, these moments with us. That's what's supposed to happen. Um, you know, we've had fun where, uh, this, this is insightful, where, like, at different times we'll play charades, where we act you have to pick who in the family is that person currently acting like. You know, to one time I had my son, you know, and, and he was acting like he was on his iPad scrolling for a long time. And it was very revealing. Like, I was like, okay, I've been, apparently I've been doing that a lot, you know. Just have fun. But um, think about it. How much, how much fun have you had over the last three months in your home? Has it been so serious that your choice has not been life? Like, look at what the scripture says. This is so great. Now, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10, it's out of the message. It's a paraphrase. Thank you, Eugene Peterson. It's great, though. Here's, here's what he writes. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes. God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love. We'll talk about that for a little bit. Each and every day of your precarious life, each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it and heartily. Yeah. First Timothy 6 17 tells us, like, let's, God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Aren't you, aren't you grateful for that? Like, have fun. I'll, I'll end like Jesus in John 16. There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it. I don't think we have time, so. Uh. 
but it's a space to enjoy. Uh, fourth, last, is home is filled with shalom. See, shalom is this concept of, of flourishing. It is not, not simply peace, the absence of conflict, although it does include that, but it signifies a number of things that we need rooted in our heart. Anytime we see the word peace, God is speaking shalom. And it is, it is a command, it is a, it is a blessing, it is, it is our birthright. It is what we are to display and to uh, honestly consume and grasp and, and, and bring to this earth. Shalom, it, it means wholeness and salvation, completeness, soundness, community, connectedness, righteousness and justice, well-being. It's, it is the way things ought to be, it's, it's harmony. God's desire as priests with authority is that we would command, if you will, shalom in our home the way that he stood in the middle of the chaos of the storm and he brought peace to that chaos. When you go into the workplace, that you would bring shalom in the workplace, that you would bring this concept. Shalom is a stronghold. See, a stronghold is a fortress that is protecting something. So sometimes we need to look at what we're protecting. Sometimes it's a lie, a limiting idea that we've entertained. That was an, that was an acronym, by the way. Somebody said. Like something that limits us. We've, we've hosted it. And we need to get it out of our stronghold and stop making that a fortress. And we need to bring shalom into the center of our stronghold. And we need to fight and defend, like Nehemiah says, fight for our homes. Because what we nourish, what we, what we water, what we nourish will flourish. And shalom is not a dream of God's. It is a goal. And you know what the difference between a, dr a dream and a goal is, right? A date and a deadline. Like this that we're talking about is not so that we can have more information. And that was a great little message. Like somebody texted me on Thursday night, Brad, you caught fire. I don't care that I caught fire. I care that we catch fire. The only thing that matters is if we catch fire, accept responsibility, reject passivity, lead courageously. Will we feel like we know how to do it all? No, that's why we train. That's why we put one foot in front of the other. And, and it may not feel like you're robust as you uh, single people or empty nesters are inviting each other, or married couples, inviting, you get it, I don't need to cover every area. I was getting a little confused about every person that I could identify in here. Okay, from birth to, you know, 190 years old, we need to be sharing in community and connectedness, and we need to evaluate. But shalom is this, this refuge. It is, like I said, it is our birthright spiritually. It is what God put you and I on this earth to bring, not to escape this world, but to bring shalom, to bring his kingdom to this earth. This is our, our responsibility. And so we sit. In a message like this, we sit and we go, okay, we must mature, I must mature. Immaturity is just, it's not bad, it just means I'm not fully developed. I need to develop. God's God's ready. 
God's ready for me to grow. I need my perspective to shift. I'm a, I'm a priest. Wow, have I been carrying myself that way? My home is a small sanctuary. My home is hospitable. My home is a space to enjoy. My home is filled with shalom. I can, I can start. I can, I can stop sitting on the sidelines and stop stoking the flames of immaturity and I can start moving and I can start getting ideas from people that I am in the household of God together with and start learning, well, what are you doing? What are you doing to have fun in your home? Oh, that's a great idea. Are you asking, like, home is a sanctuary? You're, you, you ask, the heart checkup, I'm going to do that. Great, what are, you, what are you doing? We're supposed to be sharpening, not ethereal. We're not gaining more information so that we can, you know, just as you're walking out the door, great message, Brad, and do absolutely nothing with it and wonder why the church is not advancing because nobody's practicing. But when we take uh, our rightful um, identity and designation as the priests in God's kingdom, and we realize that we must hear and do, hear and do, hear and do, hear and practice. That's how you develop and train in any area. I told somebody after last service, I'm like, you know, it's frustrating kind of that if you go to the gym and know everything about workouts and proper fueling and eating, it's frustrating. You know all that information and then you stop working out that you no longer go up and to the right, you go down and to the left. It just is. Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, if, if you think there is such thing as, a maintenance, as maintenance mode, you're wrong. It's no such thing. You're either up, up and to the right or down to the left, and it's okay. Week by week, we, we check in. We ask what we're doing because as we reflect on what's been going on, results have reasons. It's pretty simple. And I want to end this way. So there is, in history, recorded the story, the early 5th century, a individual who was a follower of Jesus known by the name of Telemachus. And Telemachus lived in Turkey, and he was praying one day in his garden. And the Spirit of God spoke to him. He heard the voice of God arrest him and tell him to go to Rome. So he responded to that voice, and he walked. Not like a couple hours, like days and weeks. He walked to Rome, and he, he winds up in front of the Colosseum. And the day that he arrives at the Colosseum, there, there is commotion and crowds that are cheering and they are jeering because there is a gladiator fight that's taking place. And Telemachus walks in and he sees the chaos and the slaughtering of, of two men uh, in, in this, this heart-wrenching chaos and confusion and people blood-lusting. And one guy sees this chaos and he responds, not passively, he starts to scream. Recorded in history, by the way. Not a cute story. He screams, in the name of Christ, stop. And nobody listens to him till he finds himself on the arena floor in between two gladiators. As he's screaming, in the name of Christ, stop. This is not, this, the shedding of innocent blood, this is, this is not the way things are to be. In his attempt to bring shalom, 
in this place. And the crowd goes loud, sedition. They stone him to death. His blood spills out on the floor of that arena. And it's recorded in history that that was the last day that there was ever a gladiator fight. Because one man, hearing the voice of God, stood up while others sat down and decided that he was not going to be passive. He was going to accept responsibility, lead courageously, sacrificially. He gave himself. But I believe there was a greater reward. So here's what I put in front of you. This responsibility is to release us. And I'm asking if you would accept this. And I know this, that when there's a message like this, you reach out to the many and you only find a few, but all I need is a few. All I need is, is a few of us that would accept this role and this responsibility to change the city of Scottsdale and Phoenix and Ahwatukee and Tempe and wherever it is that you reside. Would you say yes? I'll start with me. I'm going to invite us to stand to our feet. And here's how I'm going to release you. This is, this is how I'm going to release you. And I don't mean from this building. I mean in how we're going to respond. I'm going to release you right now to have a conversation with a person that is around you. And you're going to ask them three questions. Um, how can I use this? Why must I use this? And when Will I use this? You spend the next few minutes talking amongst yourselves. How can I use this? Why must I use this? When will I use this? I release you to do that right now.
Wow. What a response. What a response. Don't be seated. Just stay right where you are. So I guess my question is, how many Telemachuses are in the room? How many Telemachuses are in the room? Come on, one guy. One guy. I see another one. How many Telemachuses? You're going to make a difference. I'm going to move the needle. I'm going to make a difference in the world I live in. So we're going to do something different at the end of this service. Newton's law of motion states that an object in motion stays in motion and an object at rest stays at rest. Today, we've been challenged to move. And can I tell you what you just did over the last three and a half minutes is starting in motion. And Brad asked you to do three things, and what that did is that started you because an object in motion needs to stay in motion, and an object at rest, if you say, I'm not doing it, then an object at rest is going to stay at rest, and there won't be change. So here's how we want to bless you. All behavior, all behavior is belief-driven. All behavior is belief-driven. Today, your belief system was challenged to say, what am I going to do with my life? And you're going to make motion begin to move the needle. So to wrap this service up, Larissa is going to sing over you. We're not asking you to sing. We're asking you to receive. Because today, you made a step to say, I'm going to become an object in motion, and I'm going to stay in motion. I told Larissa, I watched a, a lady a while ago in the, in the last service, she was probably 40 years older than the young man she was speaking with. And I saw her like this. She was probably close to in her 70s. And that's not old because Brad's had you raise your hand. And I looked at, she was talking to a guy in his 20s and said, can you just give me your name and number? I almost lost it up here because she became a telemachus to say, I'm going to reach out to another generation. I want you to receive this. Larissa is going to sing over you a blessing because you started in motion to make something change, not just in you, but in others around you. Receive this. If you feel comfortable, just put out your hands to receive this blessing that is straight from the Word of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you.
Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.